Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. The Food and Drug Administration saying it will soon publish a study about a major COVID-19 vaccine and four potential negative health issues following vaccination. Hurricane Ian hit this Florida island hard. Hear resident stories and find out why some are finding it hard to leave. A good old-fashioned Texas showdown. Find out the details as Governor Greg Abbott duels with challenger Beto O'Rourke for the fate of the Lone Star State. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration, or FDA, is preparing to publish a study on potential adverse events after COVID-19 vaccination. Adverse events are negative health issues that aren't necessarily linked to a vaccine. NTD's Jessica Beatty has more on the study, which focuses on Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine. Back in July 2021, the FDA announced there were four potential adverse events of interest following Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine. But since then, no updates until last Friday. That's when a spokesperson told the Epoch Times the FDA is expecting to publish the study soon, later this fall. They did not give more details and Pfizer did not respond to a request for comment. Last year, the FDA said it detected the potential adverse events by analyzing the healthcare claims database for Medicare. Medicare is the government insurance plan that covers people ages 65 and older. The four potential adverse events were blood clotting in the lungs, insufficient oxygen to the heart, low blood platelet levels, and disseminated intravascular coagulation. In other words, a condition that prevents your body from controlling blood clotting and bleeding. Last year, the FDA said the four events may not be true safety concerns, and the screening method cannot prove that the Pfizer vaccine caused the adverse events. At the time, the FDA said it's sharing the initial findings of the safety study in the spirit of transparency, but does not believe there's a cause for concern. The FDA also said there are alternative explanations for the findings including the fact that the Pfizer vaccine was given to many older patients who were high risk and had other health issues. The FDA has added warnings to all the available COVID-19 vaccines. The fact sheets tell people set to get the vaccines they could experience severe allergic reaction, heart inflammation, and other side effects. The FDA and other health agencies say the benefits of the vaccines outweigh the risks, although some health experts disagree. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. Over to a new grant to study bat viruses. The money is going to a firm that allegedly conducted controversial research in Wuhan. That's the Chinese city where COVID-19 emerged in 2019. EcoHealth Alliance was involved in the researching bat coronaviruses at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. They've now started a new multi-year study that also involves bats and coronaviruses. This time, the research will take place in Laos, Vietnam, and Burma. The grant was awarded by the U.S. National Institutes of Health. Senator Joni Ernst tried to ban the funding and says, quote, giving taxpayer money to EcoHealth to study pandemic prevention is like paying a suspected arsonist to conduct fire safety inspections. She says EcoHealth still hasn't turned over key documents about the origins of the COVID-19 pandemic, even though the NIH requested them multiple times. In an interview with Science.org last year, the head of EcoHealth said he is the victim of, quote, an anti-science attack. He says he was warning about a coronavirus pandemic 15 years before COVID-19 spread across the world. 
In other COVID news, Sweden plans to stop recommending the COVID-19 vaccines for healthy teens. The Swedish Public Health Authority posted that the general recommendation for ages 12 to 17 will end after October 31st. It cited, quote, the very low risk of serious illness and death from COVID-19 in children and teens. They will still recommend the vaccine for children in certain vulnerable groups and for people older than 18. They still advise three vaccine doses, while four doses are recommended for people older than 65. Nearby Denmark is making a similar change. They aren't offering booster shots to anyone under 50 years old. The country's health agency says the purpose of vaccination is not to stop the spread, but to prevent severe symptoms in vulnerable people. They add that those under the age of 50 aren't at particular risk. In other news, one of the world's largest open access journal publishers is retracting more than 500 papers. They say they discovered unethical actions. The publisher, London-based Hindawi, puts out more than 200 peer-reviewed journals across multiple disciplines. They stated that its research team identified irregularities in the peer review process in some of the journals. The retracted papers are from 16 journals and date back as far as August 2020. A senior vice president for Hindawi's U.S.-based parent company says some of the authors and editors may have been unwitting participants in the unethical scheme. She says the scheme involved, quote, manipulation of the peer review process and the infrastructure that supports it. The vice president of researcher and publishing services for Hindawi said that the compromised individuals will be banned from Hindawi journals. Other people were described as potentially compromised. Further retractions are expected as the investigation proceeds. Hindawi journals include advances in agriculture, the Canadian Journal of Infectious Diseases and Medical Microbiology, and the Journal of Nanotechnology. From journals to crypto, Kim Kardashian agreed to pay a $1.26 million fine to the Securities and Exchange Commission. The payment settles civil charges after the reality TV star touted a crypto asset on Instagram. She also agreed to cooperate with the SEC's ongoing investigation and not promote any crypto securities for three years. The SEC charged Kardashian with failure to disclose that she was paid $250,000 to publish her post, violating the anti-touting provision of the federal securities laws. She agreed to the order without admitting or denying the findings. The SEC chair said the case is a reminder that when celebrities or influencers endorse investment opportunities, it doesn't mean those investment products are right for all investors. Kardashian's attorneys said she fully cooperated with the SEC from the very beginning, and the agreement allows her to avoid a protracted dispute so she can move forward with her many different business pursuits. In the wake of Hurricane Ian, some residents on a devastated Florida island don't want to leave. Entity's Daniel Monahan has the story. The small community of Matlache Island is tucked in between Cape Coral and Pine Island, Florida. It's a community that was once filled with colorful businesses, restaurants, and homes. Homes that belonged to residents that enjoyed the warm paradise right in their backyards. After the destructive winds of Hurricane Ian, all that remains is debris-filled streets, collapsed bridges, and roads that the storm surge transformed into canals. Karen Pagliaro is a native New Yorker, one of many that moved here for warmer weather. I love this little town. Yeah, I loved it here. My neighbors are great. It's just a fun little place, and um, never really been through a hurricane like this. The town has no exit or entry by car due to the destruction of their bridge and road from Cape Coral. United States Coast Guard and U.S. military bring water and supplies during the day for the islanders. Although Karen tries to keep an upbeat attitude, she's not sure what comes next. 
I just don't know what to do with my. I have nothing. I have no car. I have no home. I have no possessions. So <laughs> it's an adventure, you know. Meanwhile, stories of looting on the island have raised fears about overnighting there. It's unknown when those remaining will be asked to fully evacuate for their safety once it's time to clear out the roads and debris. Islander Tracy Keene decided to stay on account of her small family of five cats and two dogs. She would like to stay put on the island in her home, which was spared by the hurricane. I don't know. I know that I want to stay here. I want to take care of the house and my animals and help the other people that are here. Whether we have homes here, why leave them to go force other people, you know, put a strain on the economy and all that stuff out there. If we can make it here and we're able to survive. And According to Keene, staying on Matlache now is just like camping. Minus the looting, of course. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Moving on to Texas, Republican Governor Greg Abbott clashed with challenger Beto O'Rourke on Friday. At issue were abortion, gun control, and illegal immigration. It was the only scheduled showdown between the two opponents ahead of the November 8th midterm elections. NTD's Daniel Monahan has the story. Polls suggest Republican incumbent Abbott has a solid hold on the Texas governorship. However, the next month promises a lively challenge from his Democratic opponent, former U.S. Congressman Beto O'Rourke. On abortion, O'Rourke had this to say. This election is about reproductive freedom. If you care about this, you need to turn out and vote. He then vowed to return Texans to the standard he says Texas women won in the first place. Roe versus Wade, that's the standard that answers your question. The candidates also butted heads on the issue of illegal immigration at the border. Texas has bused more than 7,000 migrants to Washington, D.C. and New York City since April. They were overrun with the number of migrants that Border Patrol had dumped into the, to their tiny little communities. They needed relief, and busing was one of the ways of providing them relief, and thus began the process of, of busing the migrants to cities that sell In response, O'Rourke called the recent busing of migrants from entry dangerous and hateful political theater and criticized treating human beings as political pawns. At the conclusion of the debate, Abbott made his case for why he should be reelected. He stated that Texas is number one for the most new jobs added, for blue ribbon schools, and for tier one research universities, and had a message for Texans. I'm running for re-election to keep Texas number one, to cut your property taxes, to secure the border, to keep dangerous criminals behind bars, and to keep deadly fentanyl off our streets. Fentanyl has grabbed headlines recently in connection with the crisis on the southern border, with Congresswoman Beth Van Dyne recently tweeting that fentanyl is the leading cause of death among American adults. On gun control, O'Rourke called for raising the age limit from 18 to 21 on assault weapons, while Abbott advocated addressing mental health issues that lead people to engage in school shootings. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. From the border crisis to election procedure, Pennsylvania counties can help voters cure mail-in ballots to fix defects. A judge recently rejected an attempt to block counties from doing so in the upcoming midterm election. The Republican National Committee and other parties filed the petition. The judge is a Democrat and says the groups haven't proven that the election code is violated. She said the code lets county boards decide their own procedures for contacting voters to fix ballots. She added that blocking the procedures already in place, quote, would clearly cause greater injury. Republicans have appealed the decision to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. The Republican National Committee chair said in a statement to the Philadelphia Inquirer that, quote, allowing some counties to operate differently than others undermines the rule of law. And coming up, Ukraine takes back a town from Russian occupation. Russia used it as a logistics and transport hub for a region it proposed to annex. 
And vigil-goers mourn the victims of a stampede at an Indonesian soccer game. 125 people died, including 17 children. It's being called one of the worst stadium disasters in the world. Find out more right here on NTD News. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky announced on Sunday that the town of Leman has been fully cleared. Russian flags were being taken down in the eastern city after Kyiv on Sunday claimed full control of the logistics hub. This is Ukraine's most significant battlefield gain in weeks. It provides a potential staging post for attacks to the east while putting further pressure on the Kremlin. Russia's defense ministry said on Saturday that it was pulling troops out of the area, quote, in connection with the creation of a threat of encirclement. Moscow's forces captured Leman in May and used it as a logistics and transport hub for its operations in the north of the Donetsk region. The setback for Russian President Vladimir Putin comes after he proclaimed the annexation of four regions on Friday, an area that includes Leman. A military official in Russia has been removed from his post. Half of the newly mobilized personnel from his region had to be sent home because they didn't meet the draft criteria. The area's governor made the announcement today. In the space of 10 days, several thousand of our countrymen received draft notices and presented themselves at the military registration and enlistment offices. We have returned about half of them home as they did not meet the criteria for entering contract military service. The governor added that the removal of the commissar wouldn't affect the mobilization plan set by Putin. The chaotic draft has prompted thousands of fighting-age men to flee from the country. The plan was billed as enlisting those with military experience and specialties, but in action, it appears oblivious to service records, health student status, and even age. About 2,000 people have been arrested at protests against the mobilization in more than 30 cities. Some of the protesters were promptly drafted, something the Kremlin says is perfectly legal. Traveling to Indonesia, mourners laid flowers for victims of a stampede at a soccer stadium. It killed 125 people and injured more than 320. Police resorted to tear grass to to quell the crowd pushing onto the field. It's one of the world's worst stadium disasters. Hundreds attended a vigil in the Indonesian capital, Jakarta, on Sunday night, a day after a deadly crowd crush at a football event. Authorities say at least 125 people were killed in what's become one of the world's worst stadium disasters. Mourners gathered outside the gates of the stadium to lay flowers for the victims. People also lit candles beside a lion statue, the symbol of local football club Arema FC. The tragedy unfolded on Saturday in Malang in the province of East Java after homeside Arema lost 3-2 to Persebaya, Surabaya. East Java police chief Nico Afinta said frustrated Arema supporters invaded the pitch, damaging police vehicles and attacking officers. Officers responded by firing tear gas in an attempt to control the situation, triggering the crush and cases of suffocation. 15-year-old Ahmad Kayo and his brother, 14-year-old Mohamed Farrell, were among those killed. Relatives of the two boys held a funeral on Sunday, where they were laid to rest in adjacent graves. 17 children are among those who died. Condolences have poured in from around the world for the stadium victims, from the Pope in the Vatican to Gianni Infantino, 
the president of World Soccer's governing body, FIFA. FIFA specifies in its safety regulations that no firearms or crowd control gas should be carried or used by stewards or police. East Java police did not respond to a request for comment on whether they were aware of those regulations. Indonesian President Joko Widodo ordered the Football Association of Indonesia to suspend all games in the Indonesian top league until an investigation had been completed. Arema on Monday apologized to the victims, with its president stating he was ready to take full responsibility for the events. In the nearby Philippines, Navy officers held a ceremony in Manila today. It officially begins two-week joint maritime exercises with the U.S. The exercises are named Commandog. Commandog provides an invaluable opportunity to build upon the friendship and trust between our nations, which will be key to our success together in any future mission we may be given. We must always ensure we're ready when our nations need us, Our efforts together during this exercise will help us do exactly that. It's the sixth iteration of the annual joint exercises. About 530 Filipino and 2,500 U.S. Marines are expected to participate. The various drills include humanitarian assistance, live fire exercises, and amphibious landing operations in various locations in the Philippines. They will take place from October 3rd to 14th. Japan's Ground Self-Defense Force and South Korea's Marine Corps will observe the drills. Last month, in their first face-to-face talks, President Biden and his Philippine counterpart, Fernando Marcos, met on the sidelines of the United Nations General Assembly. They underscored their support for freedom of navigation and flight in the South China Sea in response to Beijing's efforts to exert its influence there. In another sign U.S. tech giants are leaving China, Google announced it is discontinuing its translation service in the country. The company says people just aren't using it. Many other Western companies, including Amazon and Microsoft, have pulled back from Beijing in recent years. They say numerous issues like Internet censorship and domestic competition have resulted in the exodus. Google isn't completely leaving China, however. Chrome and other select services will stay put. According to tech analytics company StatCounter, Chrome is China's most popular desktop web browser. Entity's eighth international Chinese vocal competition finished its finals in Manhattan over the weekend. We spoke to some of the medal winners. Stay tuned for more after this short break. Over the weekend, Entity's International Chinese Vocal Competition completed its finals in New York City. Contestants from all over the world came together to showcase their skills. Entity's Jason Perry has the story. I'm here at Kaufman Music Center in Manhattan, where NTD is hosting its eighth international Chinese vocal competition. The goal of the competition is to promote traditional vocal arts. I spoke to some audience members and also some contestants. My goodness. <laughs> it's incredible and such a really beautiful representation of traditional culture in voice, lyrics, in performance. It's incredibly moving and it touches the soul. It touches the heart truly, like penetrates it right to the core. It inspires people's love for music, art, and traditional culture. I think this competition has many layers of meaning. I felt it was really a world-class standard. I was very moved while listening to it. 
A total of 11 contestants from four states made it to the finals, with only two bronze awards and one silver award given out. There were no gold award winners. Bel Canto is a very great foundation for any singer and musician, and probably one of the most beautiful ways of singing. I think the most important thing is the mentality you bring to your singing, if it's pure mentality, purely for the good of others, and to let them enjoy the performance, I think that will bring the best result. No matter what competition I participate in, I always go with the heart of learning from others and gaining stage experience. And this time it really fulfilled my wish. I think it's an important step in my career. This year, the competition has specially invited vocalists from the world-renowned Shin Yun Performing Arts to serve on its panel of judges. The judge said this competition is not only about vocal skills, but also the inner expression of the contestants. I think to be able to connect with the audience through their voice can only be achieved when the cultivation of one's character and the artistic skills becomes one. I think through this platform, a contestant's career will have a great boost and elevation. This vocal competition is just one in a series of international cultural and arts events hosted by NTD. You can watch the full event on Epic TV or NTD.com. Jason Perry, NTD News, New York. Hot air balloons filled Albuquerque's sky as the 50th edition of the Albuquerque International Balloon Fiesta kicked off in New Mexico. The International Fiesta is a yearly nine-day festival that takes place in the first week of October. Over 600 hot air balloons and 700 pilots participate each year, flying different shaped balloons ranging from traditional profiles to Rafiki and Yoda. The festival was created in 1972 and gathered only 13 balloons. Today, it's the largest balloon event worldwide. As one of the most photographed events in the world, the Balloon Fiesta has become an economic driver for the state's largest city. It's also a rare and colorful opportunity for enthusiasts to be within arm's reach as the giant balloons are unpacked and inflated. One of Europe's most prestigious horse races, a little rain-drenched this year, but victory is still satisfying for racehorse Alpinista and jockey Luke Morris, who won in Paris on Sunday. The Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe at Longchamp is a 2,400-meter race, or about one and a half miles. Before the race, controversy surrounded jockey Christophe Sumion, who elbowed another jockey out of the saddle at St. Cloud on Friday. Sumion received a 60-day suspension, but it doesn't come into force until October 14th, so he was able to ride in the Prix de l'Arc. Japanese horse title holder led for the most of the race until 7-2 favorite Alpinista burst into the lead with 300 meters left. Sumion on Vedeni pushed hard, but Alpinista held on to the lead. Vedeni came in second with the 2021 winner in third. That's all for today's program. We're really glad to have you with us. Please send us an email if you'd like to tell us something. We're going to put it on screen. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.